Senator Martin Heinrich from New Mexico. He was our guest this time, Bill, and he we talked Recovering America's Wildlife Act mostly. Oh, man, it was awesome to have the senator on here for 30 minutes to talk about recovering. And you got in a little bit of CWD talk and wildfire talk um, that y'all and y'all are experiencing all that out west right now. So it was cool to have 30 minutes of his time. And I know that's tough for him right now. Yeah, he was gracious with this time. And, and we're glad he's he's one of our better, if not, in, in my opinion, he might be the very best sporting champion in all of Congress. And we could talk to him about probably 50 issues and uh, a bunch of them be natural resources related and just a good guy and, and lives it and breathes it, gets out there in the field and, you know, is, is, is in there doing yeoman's work trying to get this stuff done. It's, it's hard work and tough times. So you, you could tell and I always appreciate this when someone says they're a sportsman and sometimes eh, you get a funny feeling. Now, this guy's the real deal. So <laughs> that, that was really cool, too. You could see it. Uh, how much he cares about it real fast. Yeah. So I think folks will enjoy this one. If you don't know about recovering America's wildlife act, haven't heard about it. Hopefully you have, but if you haven't get it right from his mouth, he's uh, one of the lead architects and pushing this thing and you'll hear what it's designed to do. He's the real deal sportsman. So he's, he's talking our language and, and showing us the way. So time is now guys, we we're closer than ever on recovering America's wildlife act. And, uh, Let's just let's just do the work and get it done and get this thing across the finish line. Absolutely. Amen. And there's it's a no brainer. It's just a no brainer. All right, folks, enjoy the podcast with Senator Martin Heinrich. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws in American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Howdy folks, and welcome to the NWF Outdoors podcast. I'm here with my trusty partner, Bill Cooksey. What's happening, sir? Hey, Aaron. All good here in Tennessee, brother. Good, and, and we're honored today to have uh, a great guest, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about him before I say hello. Um, he's a two-term senator from New Mexico. He's an avid conservationist and hunter and angler. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus. He's been instrumental in helping pass the Great American Outdoors Act and many other just awesome pieces of conservation legislation that, that the sporting community is really happy about. And he's likely, in my opinion, maybe the the sporting community's biggest champion in in Congress. So, Martin Heinrich, Senator Heinrich, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's great to be with you. Well, we're honored that you're here. We appreciate it. And sticking with our tradition, we always talk about what we've been doing outside just a little bit before we get going. So, we'll start with you. We'll be brief on ours. Let you tell a story about what you've been up to lately. Well, actually, I've been spending, I got to spend a little bit of time outside over the course of the last couple of weeks um, looking at uh, a landscape that we're hoping will soon be uh, in public hands um, that will uh, be a wildlife management area in New Mexico. And so there's still some details to be wrapped up there, and I'll just tease it at that. Uh, but a little piece of paradise that we hope finds its way into uh, 
the stewardship of hunters and anglers and outdoorsmen in, uh, in my neck of the woods. That's excellent. Uh, maybe we'll, I'm sure we'll learn more about that as we go. What about you, Bill? Anything fun lately? Well, nothing quite as big as that, but I've done a little crappie fishing and a little turkey hunting and even had a little success at it. So been some good times in the outdoors. Yeah. Bill sent me a picture of a, of a gobbler the other day that he managed to bring home. So good work. Fantastic. I know I've got a few friends who've uh, been lucky enough to do that as well, but with the uh, the fires in the last week, I have to admit, I have not gotten out for spring turkey. So uh, that may have to uh, wait for another spring. Yeah, we heard about that. We'll, we'll ask you maybe a little bit about that. Um, myself, I just got out on a quick little backpacking with my 16-year-old son this past weekend, which was really awesome in a, in a roadless area and just spent some time under the stars with him, you know, contemplating life and, and seeing some great country. So good time. Uh, spring is an awesome time to start getting out and we're excited about it. So anyway, we're, we're, we're being more brief than we normally are, Senator, because uh, we know you, you've got such a busy schedule. So we want to get into the meat of this thing. But uh, we have you on really to talk about the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. We've seen some more movement on this piece of legislation than we have historically. We're starting to feel it. We're starting to think maybe we've got some something to be excited about. You yourself have called it recently in Field and Stream, maybe the most impactful wildlife conservation investment in history. And so I want to give you just a chance to wax on that a little bit in the beginning. Let's just remind folks kind of what it is and, and what, it's, what it's poised to do. Yeah, I, I like to put this bill sort of in historical context uh, because I think it's helpful to both understand um, just how impactful it would be if we can get this across the finish line and get it onto the president's desk. Uh, and also because it's helpful to know that we've come close in the past and, and never quite gotten there with this legislation. Um, you know, for folks who are really involved in the Great American Outdoors Act, uh, I like to start with the fact that, that recovering America's wildlife is a lot like the, uh, the wildlife version of the Great American Outdoors Act. Um, I started working on what became the Great American Outdoors Act on, on the land and water conservation fund side in the late 90s. And the idea that we would ever get to the point of fully funding the uh, land and water conservation fund, uh, you know, was I, I figured somewhere along the way that would get whittled down by about two thirds. And yet we got that done in a very hostile Congress with amazing coalitions and support of sportsmen and recreationists and land trusts and others. And Recovering American, America's Wildlife Act really takes the same sort of approach to finding a, a, a permanent way to finance the recovery of wildlife before it's in the emergency room. So really investing in the partnerships and the programs that we know works. We know we have a wildlife crisis in this country. And usually when we get around to really doing something about it, it's about the time some species gets on the threatened or endangered species list. And this law is designed to sort of turn that on its head and be primary care for wildlife. Invest in species when they're just starting to show some, some stress and get to a whole array of wildlife from bison to bumblebees before they're stuck on some list and need emergency room intervention. I like that analogy. That's good. 
Well, let's let's talk a little bit about from the sporting perspective too. I mean, you've been this huge champion despite it not being really focused on huntable and fishable species, right? I think one of the things that that we want to pull out of this is why should why should the sporting community absolutely support this? And I think we know, but I want to hear it from, you know, the horse's mouth if you will, the guy who's who's out there pushing it and 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 talking about this. So, I think as somebody who spends a lot of time in the outdoors, especially hunting more than probably anything else, um, I, I see this stress in our ecosystems. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it was Aldo Leopold who said, you know, it's like being living in a world of wounds to be ecologically educated. And as a hunter, I see that all the time. And even when even when the, the species I'm focused on that day is doing well in a given area, you also notice all the other stressors that can add up and impact every, uh, you know, all of our fish and wildlife. And so having an approach that really creates intact, healthy ecosystems with enough habitat for all the things we like to hunt and fish, uh, but also pays attention to the details of things like you know, pollinators that that may directly impact species that we want to, you know, that we want to harvest. But by the time they're gone, we may just we may not figure it out what the direct impact is, I think is really important. You know, the the species that will be that this bill will be implemented around species of greatest conservation concern will include sport fish, it'll include huntable species in some cases where they need to be recovered, but it really takes the whole of wildlife approach to try and recreate the, the vibrant ecosystems that we have had historically in North America. And I worry that, you know, things that everyone took for granted when I was a kid, stuff like bobwhite quail, are now just sort of limping along in so many places. And this will be a, a key tool whether you know whether it's bumblebees or bobwhite quail like we're we're going to be able to intervene at a time when we can turn that momentum around and, and really get those species to be plentiful and impactful at the at the whole habitat ecosystem level again i love that i i like to say too habitat equals opportunity right so if you fix habitat kind of any habitat you know some game species are going to come along and utilize that and that helps with with opportunity right so right appreciate and that. that that gets you know that gets people into the outdoors and those are the people we, we rely on to fight for these critters and for these wild spaces yes sir and you know i should notice or note too that Rawa, and sorry, sorry about calling it for Rawa. Some people hate that, but Recovering America's Wildlife Act is highly supported by the sporting community. You know, every national sporting organization, virtually everyone, you know, DU, Pheasants Forever, TRCP, National Wild Turkey Federation, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, everybody's in support of this thing. They see the value too. I think this is, I think it would be fair to say this is probably the, the number one, um, agreed upon focus for benefiting wildlife in this Congress and the sporting community in particular has stepped up and in a way that's allowed us to move this forward and keep it incredibly bipartisan at a time when I don't need to tell your listeners, this is just a divided time in our country and, and wildlife is something that brings us back together. And so we've been able to 
worked directly with Roy Blunt, who is the, the lead Republican uh, sponsor on this, but really a long, long list of, uh, of people on both sides of the aisle who are very invested in seeing this pass. Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. We love the bipartisan effort when people can find common ground, and, and this is a, a really great example of that. So we're happy about that. I think we're going to look at this in the future as you know historical legislation, kind of like Pittman Robertson and Dingle Johnson. You know, we'll look back in twenty, fifty years, like, wow, this was the seminal piece of wildlife legislation of its time. That's a great analogy. I, I got to say, when when I think what the the early advocates for wildlife went through a, a, a little over a century ago and all through the really through the first part of the 20th century and the fact that in places like new mexico we had completely wiped out our elk population um, you know we were seeing tiny numbers of mule deer harvested across the entire north uh the national forest in the northern part of our state um, you know, antelope were were almost gone, almost wiped out, not quite, but literally almost got there as well. And they could have just all those folks in the sort of Aldo Leopold era of wildlife conservation could have thrown up their hands and said, it's a disaster, you know, like we should just give up. And instead, they they organized, they, they actually taxed themselves, which is remarkable in the context yeah. of the era that we're in now. And they created structures like Pittman Robertson and, and Dingle Johnson that turned it around. And so now we have these enormous herds of elk in New Mexico. We have all these game species that are, pe people can't imagine a landscape without white-tailed white deer and Canada geese today. But even those species were on the edge in many places. Wild turkey were, were not were gone from so many places. Even when I was a kid, it was a really, it was a special thing to see a wild turkey. And 20 years later, you know, wild turkey were all over um, the, their habitat across the United States. So this is our opportunity to apply that kind of principle broadly and make sure that our grandkids inherit the same amazing uh, breadth of wildlife that we all took for granted growing up. I love the fact that you talk about wild turkeys and about quail. Um, when I was a kid, we had no wild turkeys, but we had quail. I grew up hunting quail, yet my 22-year-old son, who's killed plenty of turkeys now, but he's never hunted quail. Um, it's And it's really a shame. Um, but habitat fixes a lot of ills. Sure does. A, a quick question here. Um, that I hear from guys when I talk to them about recovering, a lot of people really don't know much about it. It's one of those things the public just really, for whatever reason, we've done a poor job on our end and, and at different organizations of getting the word out, I guess. But they have different levels of trust with their state agencies, but most people know it. wildlife has to be managed on the state level. So how much latitude will state agencies have with how they spend the money? They have an enormous amount of latitude. Uh, the programs do get uh, approved at the fish and wildlife level, but the, the actual program is built completely by the state agency. And so, uh, you know, in, in working with Roy Blunt and the Missouri Department of Conservation, they have a very different list of species of greatest conservation concern than New Mexico does. 
I mean, they may have hellbender salamanders on their list and we're going to have lesser prairie chickens. And that gets decided at the, uh, the State Department of Conservation or DNR, whatever you want to call your local game and fish. They're the ones who build those lists and then come up with the, the programs for how to benefit those species. It's one of the reasons why we have such broad support for this legislation is because state game and fish agencies are, I think, equally appreciated and beloved by people across the political spectrum in uh, uh, even in, in times like these where we're divided on a lot of things. Right. And we should say that the states all have, uh, just put in this plug here real quick, Bill, and then ask your question, mm-hmm. but the states all have what are called state wildlife action plans. And these are the plans that have these species on there and kind of some some designs for how you would recover them. And really this Covering America's Wildlife Act will allow the implementation of that in a lot of ways. And, and so that's, if you want to know in your state, go ahead and find that state wildlife action plan. That's exactly right. And the, the problem is that the current programs that support those wildlife action plans are completely inadequate to, to implement them. They, they really, the need uh, just dramatically outstrips the, uh, the current level of support. And so what this would do is it would actually allow those state game and fish agencies to implement those plans. And then, then you have you know, the impact for a state like New Mexico. I mean, we've known for years that lesser prairie chickens were in trouble. If we had had RAWA or Recovering America's Wildlife Act 10, 15 years ago, we could have headed off the decline of, of those birds, you know, when we could still have a huge impact on their population instead of waiting until they're on the verge of being added to the endangered species list. It's such an awesome piece of work, Yet, and I talk to sportsmen about it, and I tell them what's going on and what RAWA does, and they look at me and say, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch. <laughs> Nothing can be this perfect. Um, and one concern several people have expressed to me, right now in a lot of state game and fish agencies, sportsmen have a lot of input because their dollars are what fund the agencies. How will that change or how would you foresee that changing? Is it a, is it a real concern for them or are they just worried about really nothing? Well, I, I think, you know, it's going to remain critical for sportsmen to continue to have the voice that they have now. And, and it is going to continue that our license dollars and our habitat stamp dollars really drive an enormous amount of what these game and fish agencies do on a year in year out basis. But I also think it's important that you, that they're able to engage um, on a broader scale of not just game species, not just sport fish, uh, and really keep those other species that can swamp the agenda if, if you wait until they're an endangered species and then you got all your time spent focused on a species or fighting over habitat for a species when you could have used those same conservation principles that sportsmen know so well early in the process to head that off. So one of the things that I'm excited about it, excited about is it's going to build so much more capacity and the, the funding comes in and it ramps up over time uh, to its full funding level. But that's going to 
that's going to create game and fish departments that are so much better resourced and aren't always, you know, grabbing duct tape and bailing wire to keep things moving. It's going to be <laughs> funding that they can rely on so that they can do the things they do with respect to hunting and fishing. They can also engage communities more. It'll just allow them to leverage uh, their state uh, funds that they get from the general fund of their state to go up much, much further than they do now. I I think most, there are a handful of states that have very predictable revenue streams. I know Missouri has a has a, a, a sales tax that has been incredibly uh, successful and yeah. has been re-approved by the public there many times. Uh, I think most of us from around the country, I know in New Mexico, we look at that with envy. Uh, this is going to create some of that certainty that uh, some of the most successful agencies have had in being good stewards of, of their wildlife. Howdy, listeners. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. And for even more excellent content, here's a message from our partner podcast. Hey everyone, this is Marsha Brownlee from Artemis Sports Women. We know you love awesome stories about hunting, fishing, and conservation. So head on over to the Artemis Podcast. You'll meet adventurous, accomplished women who are redefining conservation through their lives in the field and on the water. Filled with humor, audacity, empathy, and intelligence, Artemis brings you new voices and introduces you to women from all walks of the sporting community. Find Artemis wherever you get your podcasts. I think another important part, you know, we, we hear our CEO say it, we say it, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You know that old adage, and, and you talked about that. I, I like the analogy, the, the healthcare analogy he used. I think that's a good one. Uh, I, I think we ought to use this time, too, to talk a little about natural infrastructure. We've been pushing this, we, you know, help couch how natural infrastructure is part of this Recovering America's Wildlife Act push you know, you've got, I'm here in Southern Colorado, you're in New Mexico. Our wildfire season is already cranking up crazily. You know, we're in April and you're, you're, you're seeing huge fires. Maybe if you can, cause I know you know this, can you give folks some examples of how recovering can maybe help with that and, and that natural infrastructure piece as well? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up wildfires because I, I honestly, I've never seen anything quite like what I witnessed just um, Friday a few days ago. Um, and and we're experiencing winds, unprecedented spring winds across the West that are really making uh, our fire season much less predictable, much more uh, destructive. Um, I mean, we don't have the full list yet, but I know we lost a lot of homes in the last few weeks in, in New Mexico. Um, we saw fires that were so windy that you just couldn't have people on those fires until the wind calmed down. Like there's no way to suppress. You can't get, you can't have your air assets in the air. It's too windy. It's too dangerous to have people trying to uh, get lines established in those winds. Um, and it's, it's a scary different thing than what we're used to in terms of fighting fire. And investments in natural infrastructure, whether that's recreating wetlands that really act as a, a, an effective 
fire break in a lot of conditions or just to mitigate the extremities of what we see, making sure that you're doing the kind of habitat treatments where, uh, you know, in looking at one fire in Southern New Mexico a couple of weeks ago, you know, I saw places that had been uh, treated uh, both mechanically and in, in some cases with prescribed fire and how those places survived uh, versus places where every every tree died and it, in some cases houses just destroyed, you know. Um, so we know a lot more today about how to maintain uh, uh, fire-prone forests. And this is one more tool to be able to make sure that we're, we're doing that and creating that healthy habitat that has a chance to survive um, certainly a, a, a historically typical fire, but even in an extreme fire is going to have a lot more resiliency than, uh, than something that, that hasn't had the benefit of that. Well, and I think, uh, you know, we've been pushing natural infrastructure, right? And you mentioned like wetlands, for instance, right? If you go and restore a wetland that, uh, you know, maybe a, a troubled songbird is relying on, the benefits, all of the ancillary benefits that come with that, right? You're, you're helping mitigate if there's been a fire in the upper part of the watershed when those, when it rains heavy, it comes down and slowed down, it filters the pollutants, filters the ash, and you've got habitat for that, you know, that species in trouble and ducks can probably land there and fish can probably, you know, rear their young there. So you get all these really cool benefits. I think some people I've heard, it's like, six or seven or eight dollars return on every dollar you've spent doing something like that. Bob Budd from the Wyoming Natural Resources Trust told us about that number when they invest in Wyoming. So those are the kind of things I think we want the sporting community to, to understand, right? And, and recovering would also kind of fit into that because of that natural infrastructure piece and restoring a lot of this habitat for, you know, myriad species. Yeah, you know, the, the benefits, like you say, really end up being stackable. You may do a habitat project uh, for one species of concern that ends up benefiting everybody from grazers to, you know, the, the people who would potentially have to fight a fire to the sportsmen who, who you know, other species are going to use some of those projects. Uh, no, nobody tells the ducks that that, that wetland uh, was created for, you know, whatever the, the purpose was, um, they're going to use it anyway. Right. And that just is, is that much better for, um, for all of us who, who love waterfowl. So they really end up stacking benefits yeah. from one investment that then impacts a whole suite of people and, and species. Senator Let's talk uh, into the future with recovering. I mean, let's look, say, 20 years down the road. Can you paint a picture of what things will look like, whether it's a species or a landscape or, you know, kind of what do you see things looking like in the future? Well, I know that, you know, one of the places we spend a lot of time focused on in, in New Mexico is our riparian habitats um, because so many different species end up uh, spending some part of their life cycle in those riparian habitats. So they're a very small portion of our state's landmass, um, but they end up being enormously influential uh, from, 
from species that you would think about, like, uh, you know, like Rio Grande cutthroat trout, uh, but also songbirds and species that you wouldn't necessarily know um, are, are reliant on those spaces. And I think, you know, we've all, always had these aspirations to be able to work on uh, restoring riparian areas, getting willows reestablished, getting uh, mountain cottonwoods reestablished in places, then having the food source to bring back in beavers that can then uh, engineer those spaces to be even more successful. Uh, and then obviously benefit things like uh, sport fish and everything else that relies on the, the sort of, you know, sponges that beavers create in, in those systems. So if we had a little bit of money to, to work on those riparian areas across our national forests, uh, I think that the spinoff for recreation for uh, all sorts of wildlife species um, would be enormous in our state. And, and it would have a lot of side impacts, uh, beneficial side impacts, for example, for people who irrigate downstream, who want that water coming for as long as possible and as predictable as possible instead of rushing down in, in a torrent of either snow melt or after a big <laughs> yeah. storm. Well, Senator, I know you're, you're short on time today and we want to make sure we ask you this. What do we need to do to get this thing across the finish line? You know, if you can give us a quick update on the status and next steps, and we're going to have an action alert for our listeners and our followers to, you know, write to their member of Congress, but just fill us in on what you think people ought to be doing. Well, we got a strong vote in committee uh, in the uh, Environment and Public Works Committee. That was yeah. a long time coming and is the, uh, the furthest we've gotten with this legislation. So what we're trying to do now is just get this thing teed up for time on the floor and final passage. So, you know, in, in the uh, reach out to your, your House member, uh, the, the bill has cleared the uh, committee in the House as well, but hasn't done final passage. And we're in the same spot in the Senate. So reach out to your House member and both of your senators and say, this is good policy. This is good for our sporting communities. This is good for wildlife. Um, it's bipartisan. Let's, let's get this thing done. So wave your magic wand. When's it going to pass? <laughs> give us, uh, give us the good positive sign here. Uh, as you know, it, it'll get a little closer every time one of your uh, members picks up the phone and calls their, their member <laughs> of Congress. I like that. Hey, and before we let you go, we want to mention CWD. You've also been a champion on, on combating chronic wasting disease. We just completed a, a podcast series, Chronic Wasting Disease Chronicles. We had your, your congressional colleague, Representative Kine, on uh, to talk about the House side. I know you've been a champion. Any, anything you can share, you know, look into the future on the Senate side? Yeah, we, we hope to be able to introduce uh, the uh, the Senate version of the legislation that Ron Kind has been working on in the coming days. And we're, we're trying to finalize that now. Uh, we're excited to get that uh, to do our part on the Senate side of things. And uh, I'm hopeful this is going to be one of those uh, bills that we're able to move by the end of this Congress here as we uh, wrap up 2022. Excellent. Well, this podcast will run on Friday, April 29th. So maybe by then uh, we will have something. Let's hope we'll, we'll be rooting for you. 
we'll, if uh, if we get it done by then, we'll we'll be sure and uh, share it with you. But we're we're really really close. Well, good. Uh, we're, we're doing our part to try to keep you right the half hour you had for us, but we'll, of course, talk to you longer. It'd be nice to, to long form one of these sometimes, tell some, tell some field stories and all that other good stuff. But uh, we know you're just back in, in session and, and all kinds of things you're cranking on. We appreciate all that hard work. You want to leave us with any uh, wise words? Well, you can probably hear the... Uh... Uh, the siren in the background. So I am, uh, I am here in, in Washington, D.C. And if we were recording this in, in New Mexico, you, you might have more appropriate, uh, more appropriate sounds yeah. in the background. Or at least I could make the ringer on my phone do a pretty good elk bugle. Um, but I, I am, you know, I, I do, I get on the, the plane every Monday and fly across the country and land here seven hours later uh, so that I can work on things that my constituents really care about. And, you know, this is one of those issues where whether you're from New Mexico or Idaho or Florida, you know, people care about the wildlife and have enormous pride in the wildlife in their part of the country. And I think we need to to bottle that and, and get people engaged in protecting and restoring that wildlife. And um, this is a real opportunity. I mean, shame on us if we can't get this done because we've done such a good job of ha creating a wide tent, bringing all kinds of folks to the table, working through the issues. And we're really, really close. So uh, I think with, uh, with the help of, of your members, and your supporters, uh, let's get this thing done. That's an awesome one to leave us with. Let's get it over the finish line. Thank you, Senator, so much. Uh, we'll be rooting for you. We're so glad someone's willing to, to get on that flight and go out there and do this hard work. I know it's a tough life, a tough job, but we're glad we have you out there. So thank you so much and happy trails and good luck. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Senator. Take care, sir. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. We are NWF Outdoors.